This week on The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, we journey further in Ruth with pious Boaz. Boaz meets Ruth. Ruth learns Boaz is a redeemer, Naomi's instructions, and Ruth's plea. Join me, Pastor Will Whedon, for The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, your daily 15-minute verse-by-verse Bible study on demand. Listen at thewordendures.org or your favorite podcast provider. Almost every one of us have found ourselves in this position. Maybe it's sitting in your chair after dinner in the evening. There's nothing interesting on TV. You pick up your phone and somehow an hour later you realize an hour has passed and you don't really know what you did with that hour. You do know that you did a lot of scrolling. Now, were you looking for good news or bad news or just catching up on other people's lives? What's going on in your mind When you lose that hour scrolling and what's going on in the program you're interacting with, with the social media. Welcome back to Issues Etc. Joining us to talk about scrolling and something called doom scrolling. Lisa Cooper, she's senior copywriter at Revelation Media and a freelance writer at Barna. She has a master's degree in religion from the American Lutheran Theological Seminary and she's author of a recent column for the Christian Research Journal titled A Christian Response to Scrolling and Doom Scrolling. Lisa, welcome. Hi, thanks for having me. What's it like being married to Dr. Jordan Cooper? <laughs> it's very fun. <laughs> we always have good things to talk about. There may be a few out there who don't know what scrolling is. What is it? Yeah, so I thought that this was a really interesting topic to discuss because I don't think a lot of people realize that there's a difference between scrolling and doom scrolling. So when you're scrolling on your phone, it just has to do with like when you're pushing your finger up and down compulsively or uninhibitedly engaging with online sources, especially social media. So when I talk about scrolling in this article, I'm talking about that like kind of passive engagement that people have when they're engaging with their personal electronic devices. Why can't Christians avoid this kind of interaction with the world? So I talk about this in the article that there are things in the world that we just have to engage with. As Christians, we can't really avoid interacting with the things around us. So social media is one of those many things that it's been put in our lives around us, and we have to just adapt and feel good about what we're doing with it. So as Christians, we're called to stand apart from the world and not be like of the world, but engage with it. As Christians, we need to engage with the things of this world in a way that's knowledgeable and that uses the fruits of the Spirit. So when we have like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, we need to be able to engage and employ those things when we are engaging with the world around us. So when we are on social media, we shouldn't forget the fact that we're Christians and we should not let it overtake our compulsion to do good and to love our neighbor. And so that means being aware of gossip and narcissism and immodesty and disconnecting from in-person relationships as a result of social media use. So I think as Christians, like if we are not knowledgeable and careful about how we engage with the world, we're going to miss the 
way to be Christian in that sort of engagement. So I think being aware of our neighbor is one of the most important things. Obviously, love God, love your neighbor is like the summary of the law in scripture. So when we take our eyes off of our neighbor and get consumed by the compulsive pull of our handheld devices, we're no longer focused on Jesus and his will for our lives and how we care for our neighbor or bearing good fruit in those relationships. Is the language of addiction too strong to apply to our use of social media? So I think a lot of people use addiction language when they talk about social media. And it often is like, oh, you know, I'm addicted to Twitter or X or whatever you want to call it now. (laughs) I know a lot of people who are very adamant about not calling it X. But anyway, there are actual things that a lot of studies have shown that liken social media use to addictive behaviors that are found in like substance abuse. And so I don't think it's wrong to use addiction language in certain situations. So there are some studies that have been done. David Greenfield out of West Hartford, Connecticut, talks about how there's this intermittent reinforcement, like a slot machine, when you are on your For You page, and it's pretty powerful like rewards when you get these lights and sounds and all of the things that you are seeking when you're looking for engagement with your handheld device. You know, we have this desire for a connection with other people, and that's like a normal human thing. But the neurological response that happens when we're scrolling on our phones can be like that intermittent reinforcement, like a slot machine. And it can actually release different chemicals in our brains. Oxytocin is released. And there's dopamine in our reward pathways that makes it feel good to be connected with others. And so when we are scrolling on our phones, there's actually something that's happening in our brain that's chemically similar to addictive patterns of taking drugs, you know? And so like, it's not good to be that engaged with your device that you're seeking those behaviors out, but it's pretty common, actually. And it's just because it's kind of how it's structured. The internet There are for you pages for a reason because they want to kind of suck you in and get you interested and stay there. What is problematic interactive media use? So I bring this up in the article because there is this expansive term, problematic interactive media use, or PIMU. It's this kind of broader term that includes scrolling and doom scrolling But it also includes other kinds of internet addictions like gambling, gaming, internet porn use. So it can present itself in different ways. But problematic interactive media use is one of those kind of terms that if you're looking for scholarly material on the subject of engagement with handheld devices, it is a really good key term to look at to see how these patterns of behavior play out among different people. So the unique thing about PIMU is that it contributes to functional impairment. So there's this like uncontrolled use of interactive screens. And those consequences of like stopping is akin to withdrawal symptoms. So just like substance abuse withdrawal would be, it would cause all kinds of like emotional, physical withdrawal symptoms that is what you see with PIMU. So maybe like a very 
mild version of this would be that feeling you get when you put your phone away and you're talking to someone and you have that urge to pick up your phone and, and look at it. This is that, but to the extreme where it actually causes physical withdrawal-like symptoms. What factors increase problematic interactive media use? So one of the most interesting things is that being male, it depends on the study that you look at. It's either two, three, or even five times more likely to have these addiction-like reactions to your handheld device. So being male is one of the biggest risk factors. It increases with age, but it kind of peaks around 15 and 16 years old. So for anybody who has boys under 16 years old, this is something that parents need to be aware of, that when you let your kids have uninhibited access, they have phones or online gaming or any of these things, they are way more at risk to develop this kind of exacerbated problem where they can't stop easily. And so other psychiatric conditions are also associated with PIMU. And it's hard to say because it could be like correlated and not necessarily causal, but if you have children and they struggle with depression or ADHD, sleep issues, autism, those are other things that are kind of correlated with PIMU. So there are other things that they say based on studies like lower socioeconomic status, single parent household, those things tend to be consistent, but it's not necessarily causal. It's just kind of correlated. But personality traits like impulsivity, lack of self-control, neuroticism, high levels of urgency, those are the things that you are going to see those people tend to veer off into the really problematic use of handheld devices rather than being able to manage themselves when they are engaging with their phones or online gaming or any of these things, and they can stop whenever they want. Why is there a disparity between what people say they want in terms of social media and what they actually do on social media? I think as Lutherans, we get this likely the best, <laughs> where we we know that there is this old Adam in us that desires things that we shouldn't want. And so it's interesting because the statistics bear this out that, you know, 80% of people surveyed in a study in, it's called My TechWise Life. It's written by Amy Crouch, who is a friend of mine. She does this wonderful little book about young people engaging with social media. And if you have kids, I, th I highly recommend it. But Amy Crouch talks about how their 80% of people surveyed claim that they would prefer to spend time with people in person rather than text them but they actually chose to be in person with their friends only 35% of the time. So like the disparity there is really big about they texted their friends 65% of the time, even though 80% of the people wanted to be with their friends. So I think there's this big gap between what we think we should do and what we actually end up doing. And it sounds very much like Paul writing in Romans 7, where he says, you know, I do not do what I want, but I do the thing I hate. <laughs> I think we have this kind of battle with with ourselves. It's, it's easier to opt out of in-person relationships and retreat into ourselves and, and spend the time on phones because it's just easier. You know, you have your handheld device, you can put it in front of your face and scroll endlessly and have 
all of the engagement that you think you need, but you're not necessarily engaging with other people. You had mentioned PIMU, but what's the correlation that we're finding between social media use and full-blown mental illness? Yeah, so there is there's a well-documented correlation between social media use and mental illness symptoms, but it is unclear if the time on social media is the problem or if it's kind of the other way around because the people that are spending more time on social media are not exercising as much. They're taking that time from somewhere. It's not coming out of nowhere. So they may not be sleeping as much. So it's hard to tell if it's that people with mental illness tend to spend more time on their handheld devices or if handheld devices are really contributing factors in mental illness. But because there's kind of this correlation and it's difficult to parse out whether it's cause and effect, I think it is important to note that there is that kind of correlation. So when you have, and I I keep coming back to being parents because I am a parent of two young boys and I think that's sort of where my brain goes with this because they don't have phones yet and I try to hold that off as long as possible. But people who have these kind of problematic tendencies who have body image issues or social struggles, who have a history of mental health issues, if you see that in your children, it should augment how you allow them to engage with social media and with their handheld devices. So I think it can have a lot of positive impacts on people who, for example, have mental health issues. It might it might be good because they can connect with other people who can relate to them. But overall, it seems to be generally not great. <laughs> so as a parent, I would caution other parents, you know, if you know your children are struggling, I wouldn't hand them a phone and just let them use it. I would. There are some difficult conversations that probably have to happen first. And if I had the answers, I would give you the answers, but I don't. <laughs> I just think it's important to know that there's this correlation. Lisa Cooper is our guest. We're talking about scrolling and doom scrolling. And when we come back, how is doom scrolling different than what we usually do when we're on our device? What does it mean to inwardly digest God's Word? Find out in Pastor Will Whedon's column in the latest Issues Etc. journal. We'll send it to you for free. Just click the red journal subscription button in the right-hand column at issuesetc.org. In the Wittenberg Trail feature, Dr. John Warwick Montgomery tells his story of finding confessional Lutheranism to be the most scripturally faithful theology. The free online Issues Etc. journal, issuesetc.org. Here's an easy way for you to help us cast ChristNet on the internet. Subscribe, rate, and review the Issues Etc. podcast with your podcast provider. Type Issues Etc. in your podcast provider, hit the subscription button, and leave us a five-star review. This will make it easier for other podcast listeners to find Issues Etc. Help us reach more listeners in 2024. Subscribe, rate, and review Issues Etc. today. Are you tired of those who change their Christian confession because they are ashamed of what they are called to believe in today's world? Scripture is clear on issues which many would like to claim are cultural but have no place in God's church. 
We at St. John Lutheran, Clintonville, Wisconsin, are not embarrassed to boldly confess that Scripture is God's revelation of His Christ our Savior, the only peace, comfort, and hope in our fallen world. It is why we gather each week to receive Him who comes to us in word and sacrament. For church information, visit the Find a Church page at issuesetc.org. The Lutheran Church Missouri Synod cares deeply for those who protect our nation. Are you or a loved one currently serving? Ministry to the Armed Forces would like to help. We provide devotional literature to encourage faith. Send your mailing address to lcmschaps at lcms.org or call us at 314-996-1337. Those in uniform are comforted with Psalm 28. The Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusts in Him and He helps me. Educating a new generation of Lutherans, you're listening to Issues Etc. When Martin Luther preached the dedication for the Torgau Church, he asserted that nothing else happened in this house but that our dear Lord speak to us and we respond in prayer, thanksgiving, and praise. Issues Etc. guest Dr. John Pless. The same could be said of Concordia Theological Seminary. This is a place where our Lord speaks to us through his word, and we respond in joyful and thankful confession. We therefore invite you to visit our campus, where the word of Christ dwells among us richly. Learn more about studying for the vocations of pastor or deaconess at ctsfw.edu or call 1-800-481-2155. Forming servants in Jesus Christ to teach the faithful, reach the lost, and care for all. Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, Indiana, ctsfw.edu or 1-800-481-2155. We're talking to Lisa Cooper about her column for the Christian Research Journal titled The Christian Response to Scrolling and Doom Scrolling. If you're listening in the greater Dallas area and you're looking for educational options for your children in 2024-25, check out Faith Lutheran School in Plano, Texas. Faith Lutheran provides a classical Lutheran education for pre-K through high school. Faith Lutheran Plano will host an information session at 9.30 this Wednesday morning, January the 31st. Learn more at flsplano.org, Faith Lutheran School, Plano, Texas, flsplano.org. Org. Lisa, how is doom scrolling different from simply scrolling? I think a lot of people will use doom scrolling kind of flippantly, just talking about, oh, you know, I'm doom scrolling on my phone again. Ha ha. But like there is actually a when you're talking to social scientists, there's an actual difference between the two. And doom scrolling has to do with excessive intake of negative or depressing information. And that kind of scrolling is generally speaking, negative. So it has to do with like, I think it came into the national awareness, especially with COVID-19. And people were finding that there were lots more people on their phones all the time and seeking out the kind of negative information that came with COVID, you know, knowing what what was going on in the world and seeing news headlines of people dying and all of this stuff was just overwhelming for a lot of people. And you know, it's a typical human thing to want to evaluate your environment for threats and variables. So like if you are diagnosed with some kind of disease, you're going to want to know how it affects your body and what your prognosis is and what the treatment plan is and 
how it affects your life expectancy. And so seeking out that kind of information to understand a situation better is generally considered wise, right? It's a great tactic for like self-defense in, in the world. But when it comes to the internet and you're seeking out, constantly seeking out this like negative information, it constitutes as doom scrolling, which is a very different thing than just kind of passively engaging with whatever comes across your For You page on whatever social media website you're on. And so they have found there's this negative effect on your well-being and your self-awareness of your well-being that was noted in as little as two minutes of exposure to negative content online. And so I think as Christians, we need to be aware that like if we are going to go down the rabbit hole being worried about the world, the state of, you know, politics or religion or <laughs> any of the many things that can stress us out that are kind of beyond our control in our culture, it can take only two minutes to make you feel bad. And so, you know, there's some psychologists that suggest, you know, intentionally exposing yourself to good information after feeling bad about other things. But like, it doesn't seem to make that big of a difference. <laughs> and so I would just caution with doom scrolling, you have these, this kind of neurotic engagement with negativity, and it's better to just try to avoid that. How are social media designed, technically designed to produce results like this? Yeah, so we have headlines on news websites are created to drive engagement based on clicks and we have we have these for you pages that algorithm based they show you the content that they think you're going to click on and when you're on social media you're going to get all of these things thrown at you and it may or may not be true i think a lot of false news websites have gotten pretty popular over the years and it's really just because people make money if you click on websites. That's how a lot of journalism sites are structured. And so when we get kind of sucked down a tunnel where we're clicking on all these different things and we're reading all of these different things or we're watching YouTube videos, it's actually making people money. And that's why, and you know, whatever ad content you're getting alongside any of the things that you're looking at, that's all making people money. So they're structured in such a way that the more inflammatory a headline is, the more likely it is you're going to click on it and the more likely somebody's going to make money. Are there any benefits to social media use? So there are a lot of studies that have shown that social media use, especially like under 30 minutes, can actually make you feel rested or reset or calmed. It's sort of like when you're driving on the highway and you have that sort of relaxing feeling when you're just like on a road trip and you're just going in one direction for a long time. It's that sort of disconnection between like feeling super active in the things that you need to be paying attention to. So social media can be like a little reset. But it seems like once you get past that point, there's that even worse kind of disconnection, which is like internet blackout where you kind of wake up all of a sudden and go, wow, I've been scrolling on my phone for an hour. <laughs> It's not the best. I mean, as Christians, we would say it matters what we pay attention to in our lives and it matters what we think about. <laughs> so just passively letting ourselves dissociate is not necessarily the best use of our time. But it can 
kind of do the same thing that it that our brains do when we're listening to music for a while. Something that kind of gives us enjoyment. It can actually increase your cognitive performance if you're using it correctly, like just that little bit of a reset and then you go back to normal life. But I also think that there's this major thing, which is that you get to connect with other people and sometimes people who you otherwise would never have connected with. And so social media has been like a huge blessing in my life. I know our younger son, his godparents, we met on Twitter years ago. (laughs) So we've cultivated great relationships with people just from like having connections on the internet that we wouldn't otherwise have. You know, we can look up all kinds of resources. We can get spiritual insight from other believers. We can inform ourselves of current events. There's all this great stuff that we can do with social media. But the problem is when you're just passively receiving, you're not engaging with it in a way that is beneficial to you or your Christian walk. Can Christians reap the benefits of social media while avoiding the negative costs? I think so. And I think the biggest thing is learning how to engage with social media and online content in non-compulsive ways. So in the article that I wrote, I talk a lot about reading well and how we need to cultivate the ability to, when we read things on the internet, be able to use active engagement and not just assume the worst in people. And I think putting the best construction on things is a huge piece of this, right? When you're reading an article that you wouldn't necessarily agree with, I think it's really important to put the best construction on things. And as Christians, we're supposed to acknowledge the humanity of other people. And so when we use social media, if we're reading well and we're engaging with sources, trusting that other people are trying to do the best they can, it helps us connect with people without necessarily dissociating them or their online content from the people that created it. And so I think we have all of these ways that we can use it virtually. We can build trust with other people. We can create friendships. All of these things are really good. But acknowledging that like the pattern of behavior of scrolling and doom scrolling is not necessarily good for us. So I would say if you struggle with that, I would suggest coming up with some kind of realistic plan that you can abide by until you form some kind of habit to connect with other people, maybe in real life, or take up something that you do with your hands. One of the things I kept running across is just that having that kind of engagement where you're moving your hands triggers that kind of dopamine response in your brain. And so if you enjoy cooking, or I like to crochet, so this is something that I do now instead of scrolling on my phone, I'll pick up my crochet. And it's just one of those kind of easy swaps that gives me that kind of satisfaction of doing something and accomplishing something with my hands, but not necessarily doing the bad kind of negative engagement with my device. And so I think, you know, as Christians, we're supposed to like, focus on things that are non-doom related, right? Like doom scrolling, kind of, it's that fatalistic, miserable kind of outlook on life when we know that there's hope. We know that we're going to be with Christ forever when he returns. And so we have hope that's not the end of things if society doesn't go the way we want it to. And 
if people in politics are being frustrating or something. When we're engaging with our devices and feeling really despondent, I think reminding ourselves that this is not ultimately our home and that Jesus will come again and it's going to be all made new and better. I think that's the most important thing is like keeping our eyes focused on our actual future is one of the ways that we can kind of stop being so consumed by what's in front of us on our devices. Lisa Cooper is a senior copywriter at Revelation Media and a freelance writer with Barna. She has a master's degree in religion from the American Lutheran Theological Seminary. She's author of a recent column for the Christian Research Journal titled A Christian Response to Scrolling and Doom Scrolling. You can read it at our website, issuesetc.org. Click Talk On Demand Archives. Lisa, thank you. Thank you. Josh Pauling joins us on the other side. He's written a column for the latest Logia Journal titled Live Streaming Ourselves to Death, Countering Technological Liturgies with Liturgies of Life. Unforgiveness is a prison, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. The Issues Etc. Book of the Month for January will help you break out of the unforgiveness in your own life. It's titled, Unforgivable? How God's Forgiveness Transforms Our Lives. This new book is published by Concordia Publishing House. Their phone number, 1-800-325-3040. Or learn more about Unforgivable at issuesetc.org. Unforgivable, How God's Forgiveness Transforms Our Lives, The Issues Etc. Book of the Month. The Lutheran Church Missouri Synod's Life Ministry cares for pregnant women sharing the love of Christ. Listen to Pastor Ed DeWitt with Redeeming Life Outreach Ministries. One of the first residents we had said to me, Pastor, why do you do this? And I said, just stick with me through this class. And when we're done, you'll understand completely. Many of the women, as they go through the instruction, when we get to that part about baptism, they're like, Pastor, I want that for my baby. I want my baby to be adopted into God's family. God's mission here, lcms.org slash national mission. Equipping the priesthood of all believers, you're listening to Issues Etc. At Memoria Press, the Simply Classical curriculum is specifically designed for students with significant learning challenges. This complete program includes everything you need for a school, self-contained classroom, tutoring, or homeschool to make a classical Christian education accessible for any child. To learn more, visit us at simplyclassical.com and use the coupon code LPR24 at checkout. Simply Classical, a beautiful education for any child. Have you ever wanted a resource to share with first-time visitors of your congregation to help them understand why we worship the way we worship, why your church gathers the way they gather to receive our Lord's gifts? Pick up your copy of the January issue of The Lutheran Witness, which is The Divine Service, A User's Guide. To order a copy, visit cph.org slash witness or visit our website to learn more, witness.lcms.org. The Lutheran Witness, helping you interpret the world from a Lutheran perspective. 